welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about social media. I'm Jenny Mathiasen, an objects conservative based in South Yorkshire. I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservative based in Greater Manchester. And I'm Christina Rizek, an objects conservative based in Cambridgeshire. Right, so today we're talking about social media. I tried defining this to myself and I struggled a little bit because to me it's such a, it's kind of an organic concept that I kind of understand, but I can't really define. So I looked up a definition on whatis.com. Social media is the collective of online communication channels dedicated to community-based input, interaction, content sharing, and collaboration. And that can mean loads of things, loads and loads. So that can you know, include um, platforms like Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. And it can go all the way to blogs and wikis and that sort of thing. So it's quite a broad concept. And today we're just going to try to talk a little bit about how conservatives actually use social media. So girls around the table, how do you use social media? I think I use, my use of social media is... Um, possibly quite unusual and uh, looking at our survey results I think probably quite unusual because though we have people seem to often have either a professional x and a personal x I use Facebook Twitter Instagram all as just myself both professional and personal and I just don't share things that I wouldn't want everyone to be able to see, if you see what I mean. So I have a couple of different uh, lives, a couple of different lives that I uh, adopt, have adopted. I have my, obviously, my my personal, I have conservation, and I have um, professional belly dance um, as well. Because there's obviously, in the same way as conservation, there is a huge belly dance community in the country and worldwide. So... I had Facebook, started using it as personal. There are friends from basically everywhere on there. Um, when I started my Twitter, I set it up as a sort of belly dance one. And then I slowly realized that there was actually a much better uh, community for conservation on Twitter than uh, than the community that I was interacting with on uh, Twitter for, for belly dancing. Uh, and Instagram, again, it's just, it's just all of... All of what I do generally is just my life, but I just don't post things that I, you know, would wouldn't want the world to see. Mm. See what I mean? I suppose the difference with me also is that I use Facebook as a tool for managing various different things. So there's obviously my sort of professional belly dance page. Um, we we organize obviously we can talk about this later but we organize the podcast via facebook yeah. <laughs> um and i also have pages um for my parents both each of my parents who are artists so i advertise them and have a um a sort of internet presence for both of them as well so i don't separate things out at all but that seems quite unusual looking at people's responses. Unusual, but not unprecedented. There were no. other people who said, oh, no, I hadn't really thought of even doing that. You know, like, so we did have yeah. 
some responses that were totally in line with what you were doing. Yeah, but I suppose what what it comes down to really is that if you want to follow me on any sort of social media, then you're going to have to put, as a conservator, you're going to have to put up with belly dance images and the embarrassment of seeing someone <laughs> in like full stage makeup and little clothing. <laughs> and if you're if you're following me as a belly dancer, you're going to have to put up with with, with lab coats of and swab jars and yeah. lab coats and bits of wire. <laughs> How about you, Christina? Um, I guess I'm I'm pretty typical in using different platforms for different things. So Facebook is generally people I know well personally, or at least know personally in some respect. I have actually I am actually friends on Facebook with some random conservators that I've never met in person, um, <laughs> but who have friended me because we've been in touch in some other way or just because we've kind of heard of each other. Mm. But by and large, Facebook is very personal. Um, and I've got my security settings locked down as much as I can so that people who aren't friends with me are very limited in what they can see. And I think that's partly because I tend to share a lot more kind of personal stuff a little bit about my uh, my family and my personal life and and a bit about my work but only the kind of stuff that I think would actually interest friends and family so like I got a new job or I'm involved in this interesting project or whatever mm-hmm. um but I w- I won't t- share so much kind of general conservation content there I do follow lots of conservation people on Facebook and organizations and so on but I don't tend to use it kind of professionally so much Mm. twitter on the other hand i do use more professionally and i've had a lot of kind of conversations about stuff there Uh, i got more involved in debates um ask people questions i use it at conferences where there's a conference hashtag and people are posting during the conference and having a bit of discussion there and so on so i i feel for me there's very much a, a clear distinction there and the people that I follow on Twitter and who follow me, I, I may never have met them, but at least we've got these kind of interests in common. Having said that, my Twitter, like Chloe's, is is definitely not all conservation because like Chloe, you know, I do other things. I'm interested in other things as well. And people are just going to have to live with that. It, it would be, I've, I've been in charge of an institutional Twitter account a couple of times. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting sort of managing an account which really is just focused on one thing mm. um, and where you're you're sort of very deliberately, uh, I hate to say it, but curating content for that particular purpose and you're a lot more selective and a lot more aware of what's coming out of it. I think with personal accounts, they tend to be driven by you, your own personality, your own interests, your own activities and so on. Mm. Um, I, I feel like I'm sitting somewhere, almost, not in between you, but I feel like I'm yeah I am floating somewhere in between because i'm 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 not very filtered it's very much if you if you follow me then you get all of me <laughs> it's like mm. hi this is what I do like hi I'm a conservator I'm also a podcaster i uh, I count bees I cuddle the occasional cat um i yeah it's, you, you do get a bit of everything so I feel like on Twitter it's definitely more of a mishmash. So I'm not one of these people who do only professional things. I do professional things as well. I love participating in conference hashtags, like you mentioned, Christina, and things like mm. Museum Hour every week, if I can. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I love I love doing the professional thing. And 
sometimes asking questions like, has anyone come across this problem before? How have you solved it? And that sort of thing. So I'm definitely not afraid to use it in a professional capacity at all. It's just, I, I do everything. Like it's, yeah, it's very, it's very raw. It's very me. The only thing I have to say is I, because I now work in a council setting and there's a general election coming up, I'm very aware that I'm not supposed to be political. And to me, that's difficult because I have a lot of courses and opinions. So I find myself very annoyed at having to filter myself so I don't upset my employer because I I feel like I can't share those things about myself. So they tend to end up more on Facebook where I can lock down a lot more who sees things. And obviously on Facebook, it's a different crowd because on Facebook, I know everyone personally. And I I ran some numbers. About 20% of the friends I have on Facebook are conservators. And about an additional 22% work in the heritage sector, heritage, museums, arts, something like that. Wow, so, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I'm quite nerdy. Um, <laughs> so I have lists set up for different categories of friends, and this can be based on geographical location or general interests. So if it's something that's UK-centric, I might filter to only people living in the UK. But obviously everyone on Facebook already knows me, so they already know that occasionally I will share something that I'm doing professionally, or uh, I won't filter myself very much, and I will post pictures of a cat. You know, uh, it's it's a different crowd. But on Twitter, I also ran some numbers. So of the people who follow me, so that's not people I follow, but people who follow me, about 22% are conservators. Another 33% on top of that are heritage people. But only 17% of those people are actually friends or people who know me, like in person. So there's a very, it's a very different crowd I'm catering to. So I'm aware that I'm doing slightly different things. They still get me, but I get that there's a slight difference in how I approach it because I can't really filter it. I can't tell Twitter, only tell my friends the story about the cat. Now everyone gets the cat. <laughs> so it's, I do approach it slightly differently, but only because the makeup of the audience is different. I, I have a public Twitter account because I want to be able to reach people. I get that you can have a private one. I used to have a private one, but that's not really for me anymore. I very much feel like I want to share stuff and I want people to actually see it. And it's less about having conversations with friends because I can do that on Facebook. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm somewhere in between, but I realise there is a difference. I'm interested in that because I think we've probably got similar kind of numbers of Facebook friends and Twitter followers, mm -hmm. but I reckon the makeup of mine, and I, I'm going to go off and count them now. <laughs> oh, yeah, please do. <laughs> but, but I'm pretty sure that it has a... The, percentage of conservators and museum people in mine will be much smaller than 45% or whatever yours was. Mm. Um, uh, and I think that kind of affects what I feel I want to share because I'm quite conscious that I know a lot of people from other places, mm. other areas, and they're not necessarily interested in the same kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think I think that is affecting me. And, and it's exactly what you were saying, Jenny, about being kind of aware of who your audience is. Mm. Um, but I'm going to go off and count. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> How did you come to those numbers? Because I'm I'm interested on in a similar way, but just thinking about my Facebook, um, with what you were saying, Christina, I I think that I only know on Facebook I'm only connected with conservators that I have met and yeah. usually like worked with a little bit in the past so yeah. more sort of as a friend as a friend you would you know I've either worked alongside you or in the same department or what studied with you or whatever mm, that's the case for me as well but with 
belly dancers. I have so many people on my Facebook that know me because of my dancing. And obviously, as I've become more and more well known, it's it's grown. But I have a vast number of Facebook friends that I don't I don't know because we're just friends because of the the sort of I guess it's more professional in a way. You know, we I follow this person. I, I'm friends with this person because they you know host interesting workshops and they are friends with me because I do whatever. Hmm. So I I'd really like to get those numbers down for mine and see what the percentage is of belly dancers normal friends and conservation yeah and then how many of each you should make a venn diagram (laughs) yeah yeah how many of those people do i actually know yeah but uh, so my face my rule for facebook is that i have to know you or i have to have had a conversation with you that could have been online could have been an email right it doesn't have to be very much so for example there are now people I'm friends with on Facebook who are conservatives, but I've never met. But through the podcast, they've messaged me Aww. or we've exchanged stories or, you know, you know, emerging professional support group <laughs> kind of crying. Hello, those you know. people. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> um, so, I mean, those people totally exist, but like I have to have had some contact with them. Uh, like I feel like I've had to have an exchange with people for them to be my Facebook friend, but that's just because I'm like that. That's what Twitter. Well, obviously anything goes. You can follow me. I don't, I have no power over if you follow me or not, <laughs> like whatever. But yeah, so uh, yeah, it's just I just use Facebook slightly differently to that. But then LinkedIn, I'm a lot more re- relaxed with, even if it's not someone I necessarily know. It might oh, be that now LinkedIn is a is like, a different. Yeah, you've added me. You look interesting. Sure, why not? Yeah. We can be a I'm connection. So I guess I'm so bad with with LinkedIn. <laughs> I think LinkedIn confuses me, but I feel like it's slightly more. Um, it, it's not as well defined. I feel in a way. It's clearly a, a professional network, but at the same time, I'm not entirely clear on how the networking is supposed to actually work. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of people on, on uh, or I have had lots of people on LinkedIn sort of um, friend me, friend me, if that's what I don't uh, I connect, you connect. Connect. Yeah, connect. Connect with me because they know me personally, mm. but I'm never really sure whether I should connect, I should connect with them because it's for my conservation Yes, so I'm unclear on that I... as well. So I, I've, I have a very mishmashy yeah. LinkedIn where it's like, these are people I'm friends with, or these are people I once went to school with, and we're definitely not in the same sector at all. <laughs> so it looks like I have an awful lot of connections, but it's actually like, well, these people, I went to university with them for a year. <laughs> what do you do, Christina, with LinkedIn? Do you use LinkedIn? Yes, I do a lot. Um, I tend to use it purely for professional purposes. I do have people wanting to connect with me uh, who I know from outside conservation, but I'm very conscious that it's it's a kind of professional networking platform for me. And the people who are trying to connect with me from elsewhere are probably doing so because they've given LinkedIn access to their email contact list. Mm. And it just if you do that, it just kind of suggests people who are on there who are already in your email address book, but who aren't necessarily connected with you professionally. So should we uh, move on to the survey? So we recently... Um put together a little survey that we asked conservatives to respond to about how they use social media just in general uh, just so we could get a better idea of what people out there are actually doing um, and very kindly uh, we got some respondents thank you <laughs> if you filled it up thank you so much and as it turns out overwhelmingly the social media platforms you use are facebook and twitter followed slightly by pinterest slightly less by instagram and uh, we have a couple of tumblr and then other which i'm not really sure what that would be 
We also asked what type of social media account you use. If it's a personal one, so something in your own name, an institutional or organizational one, so something like a museum or a studio account, an alternative account, which could be an alias, um, or just other, and we asked people to explain. Overwhelmingly, people use their personal accounts, but some people did have personal and institutional, so it was a mix um, just to keep things divided. And I mean, I know personally I run an organizational one, uh, a Twitter account that's for for work, like work work, uh, and one that's, you know, just me. And they, they do have incredibly different content. So it's just like you were saying, Christina, about how differently you curate <laughs> um, mm. these different tweets when it's what I'm now speaking as a conservation unit, uh, <laughs> trying yeah. to show off that we do good work. That is an incredibly, um, it's, it's a very different experience. I don't feel nearly that restricted when I post just as me. You know, I'm quite happy to, I guess I'm quite happy to upset people <laughs> in my own personal capacity. It's just as me. If you would. I bought, mm, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, I do. I think, I mean, Something that came across in the answers is a lot of when we ask what people don't share, yes. a lot of people are very unhappy about sharing anything to do with politics um, yeah. or anything well, that, that might be seen as contentious Religion, or yeah. offensive yeah. to other people. And I think that's even more so when you're running an institutional account rather than your personal one. Mm, um, definitely. People tend to shy away from anything remotely contentious. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, yeah, I suppose especially if we're, I've worked in, in Jenny in the situation you're in now, and I've been in a situation previously where you're told by the institution, don't be political, guys. And I suppose if you're speaking as yourself, that's one thing. But if you're speaking as the institution itself, then you certainly shouldn't. No, no, certainly. Mm. But I feel like it's in many ways easier to detach myself from personal opinions yeah. when I know that I'm doing it as as the brand. Yeah, well, no, yeah. If uh, no one knows similarly, it's you as your name, you're yeah, not putting exactly. your name to this. And similarly, uh, I help with the museum facebook page overall and anything i put on there it, yeah it might have a slight personal touch touch to it like this is something i care about and i think we should talk about it but it's never this is my course let's talk about it like it's it's a lot easier to distance yourself from from being an individual if you know that you're doing it in an institutional setting as for i feel like i could never stop being me if i'm saying i'm jenna matthias and conservator there will never be a twitter account where you will not have any flavor of me and where i'm just like look at my amazing before and after pictures that is not who i am <laughs> Mm -hmm. I am uh, a hot mess that I'm happy to share it. <laughs> like, uh, no, but I, I just feel like I can't strip out those bits of mm. me if I'm me. There is no, at no point do I feel like I put on a cape and become a different person when I'm a conservator. I don't feel like I have now donned the coat. I will now cease to be Jenny and I am this, I am the conservator. I never feel like that. I always feel like I'm at all times me. Being a conservator, or being a crafter, being a podcaster, be, you know, being a writer, whatever it is, at all times is me at the core, not some sort of shell. And so to a certain degree, I admire people who came forward in this survey and said things like, oh, yeah, I just completely just do this one thing and that's all I do. And I don't mm. involve politics, religion, opinions of any kind. Mm. I have no opinions about anything. And it's like, wow, I cannot do that. But there are always taboo. Like some of the other things that people said they, that they never post are really 
are also really interesting. Like the, the sort of generally agreed taboo subjects of we could literally get into trouble for talking about this or sharing stuff like human remains insensitive. Any sort of, I suppose, ethically nuanced situation mm. or, you know, um, if I suppose it, if you're working in a, an ethnographic museum, anything that you have an understanding that has you know slightly awkward connotations in the same way that human remains do do also copyright mm. um any existing copyright or like so, someone did bring that names. up that if it's something that's complicated in terms of copyright then they wouldn't post yeah. it and i'm like oh yeah i, I could totally yeah see that. um mm. i think i'm interested in uh also people's opinions in sharing the less desirable <laughs> yes. the less desirable for example storage situations or lab situations or or things that aren't like the look at my clean white desk like look at this beautifully yeah. organized everything that, that's interesting because that that was also something that came through in these results where it's something you wouldn't share people said things like things that would be embarrassing to my institution so you know yeah something being held together by sellotape or rubbish storage or that sort of thing and i that I can certainly agree with. I try not to share that sort of thing. That's it. It's a tricky one. I think one. that sort of thing, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree, but I feel like that sort of thing should be, should be. It's helpful for it to be shared because for a start, it makes it is people helpful. feel less alone. That's true. And also it means that, you know, if you're so deeply into a storage problem that you, you just, you can't see how to get out of it, then if some, if you post a photo and go, look, uh, I'm, I'm struggling here. You might have a couple of comments back saying, Hey, just do this. It'd be fine. Yeah. So, or, hey, don't worry. Mine I is think, also like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that, I think the problem with that though is that social media is often very unnuanced. If, if you're posting this without all the extra kind of context that goes with it and so on, then it's very easy for people to jump on these things and misconstrue them or misunderstand them. And then it really does end up making your institution look bad. I mean, to some extent, you can put the stuff out there, but you can't control what people do with it. No, absolutely. No, no, that's true. And the more kind of contextual information you can give with it, the better, but social media isn't always set up for that. And things like Twitter and Instagram really, really aren't set up for that. Mm. So I, I can totally understand why people are wary about sharing the bad yeah, sides as well. But at the same time, maybe it would be in some ways healthy if we actually had an outlet for it. Uh, yeah, I suppose in this, these times of, of struggling with funding, we were more open about the struggles that we're having and actually showing the 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 actual visual physical result of struggles then it would be more honest but then again i suppose i mean i remember seeing uh, in a conference there was a conference paper about this mm, pretty yes. much it was about look at it was about storage sorry of, of look at this bad storage situation this is what we did and this is what we weren't able to do mm. maybe actually well obviously a conference is more of a controllable situation but yeah, d depending you on what You do sort of, I suppose, have to bottle it up until you have the opportunity to say, help me, help, I've got this. Yeah, but then you, I also feel like in a conference situation, you also have the problem where you need to get it past your employer. I yeah. Mean, hey, uh, I want to yeah. sh show how shit we are. Uh, <laughs> could, could I do that? I mean, that, yeah, so there are many problems with what you could potentially um, share, obviously, which certainly came across in your answers. Now, people had some very um, different ideas of um how how we can how we can actually share things uh, another thing we asked by the way was if people had multiple accounts 
Um, and the 35% or thereabouts said, no, they didn't. Uh, like they had only a personal account or only a professional account. They didn't have several. Uh, and I fall into the category of I have several accounts. Uh, but that's only because I also managed the conservation studio one. Um, and the podcast. Yes, quite. Uh, and also some shops because I'm insane. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, others cited that, yes, they did have multiple accounts because they needed to divide work and personal life. Uh, it was interesting to see what people answered for how people use the different platforms and what they share on them. So Facebook tended to be more personal, more silly, more quizzes, more memes, more cute cat pictures, more about family, more about politics, and more to ask questions, not to their friends, because... I assume that I'm an outlier and that I have loads of conservation and heritage friends because I quite regularly ask conservation friends conservation questions on Facebook because I can filter it to just them. Hey, friends, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> or like, is there anyone providing a training course on blank? Because I have no idea. Has anyone heard of anything? You know, that sort of question. But inst interestingly, people did say that they used a lot of Facebook groups to ask other conservators for help on Facebook. So that so it's it's a little bit mixed, but it tends to be more personal. For Twitter, it tended to be a lot more business focused, a lot more conservation news, uh, profile raising. Yeah, so it tended to be more about that and posting teasers, which I thought was quite a sweet way of putting it. So, oh yeah, like, I liked that. Yeah, yeah a, li a little bit of here's a nugget. We're doing some research. Not going to tell you anyone on that, and that sort of thing, right? Which I thought was an interesting way of using. It. So it is basically marketing, but in a in a kind of clever conservation way, which I kind of liked. And similarly, uh, things for upcoming exhibitions, like hey, we're working on an object. You can come see it in a couple of weeks. That sort of thing. I'm quite. I'm quite conscious, actually, that the way I've and now now you mention about marketing that the way I use, um, in particular, Twitter has changed, um, because um, when I worked for an institution that didn't really have big social media presence, I used to post more of my day to day work, um, so pictures of objects I was working on and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they get retweeted by other institutions or even by people at my institution, and then eventually by the institution. But once they're built up a big social media presence of their own we were very much encouraged to post that stuff under the institution's own account mm -hmm. and not not us as individuals even though it might say on my profile i'm a conservator who works for such and such a museum oh, we yeah. were kind of really discouraged from going out and, and doing stuff ourselves as individuals to do with our day-to-day -day work that's, at that museum because it was kind of like taking the likes away from that museum oh. or what, I don't know what the rationale was but you know no no I, I, um, I can totally see that happening I mean if you at, at, at its worst it's kind of you know like a squabble for likes and a, and a kind of fight <laughs> yeah. who gets the likes or whatever <laughs> at its best I suppose engagement you could see engagement it as being uh, you know having a more focused mm. uh, social media presence and not dissipating that so I can kind of see both sides I mean now now I'm doing a lot more uh, private work yeah. um, and I do training um, and private conservation and consultancy and so now I actually feel a bit freer to post stuff on my own account about my day-to-day -day work yeah. but on the other hand because it's now on behalf of private individuals who are paying me directly mm. I now kind of feel a bit more constrained than I did when I was working for a museum no, I, a that's, that's totally an interesting point. As, so I, I feel more of a kind of direct relationship with um, the people who are employing me to do this stuff and, and more kind of responsibility. So actually, I'm, I'm, I, I'm posting more conservation work sometimes, but I feel more constrained about what I do there. 
Yeah. Um, so that's a bit weird. Doesn't stop me promoting the training courses I'm doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, come on. <laughs> we all got to live. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, similarly, people said Instagram was a bit more public. Um, some people preferred uh, some people preferred it to Twitter because it allows more text. Although some people conversely said it's not really built for text; it's more built for hashtags. So it's oh, it's God, it's, I can't bear those Instagram posts with like fifty hashtags. No, no, no. I, I personally, I, I'm not on Instagram. But yeah, so uh, it's more searchable because of the hashtags. So people preferred that to Twitter, um, even though both have hashtag systems. And people said that Instagram was more, uh, you didn't expect anything back. You might get the occasional like or follower, but it isn't the same kind of dialogue situation. Nobody's going to um, like message you and be like, hey. It's more Im- limiting in that respect, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so it's more about generating content, not actually getting any feedback um, or not very detailed feedback. So that was interesting. Pinterest, people tended to use it pretty much only for personal users, not for museum users. I, I'm, I'm on Pinterest. I use Pinterest every day and I've got thousands of pins. Wow. Um, uh, I use it a lot for recipes and meal planning and oh, kind of boring stuff like that, gardening, other interests no, and so on. And I do have some conservation boards. Oh, wow. Um, oh. But they are private. I feel, funnily enough, with conservation ones, I kind of want to keep them private, and I'm not quite sure why that is, um, oh, whether it's just that they're so different from the kind of bulk of my pins on Pinterest that it's just not really interesting to the other people who follow me, or whether it's because they're often um, things to do with very kind of private projects. If I'm mm. uh, putting together a paper and doing some research for that, I'll often use it as a way of just kind of gathering things that i don't want to forget about um or websites that i don't want to lose and i've got it's it's the most efficient way for me of storing that information but i i I kind of feel quite strongly actually that it's not for public consumption and i'm not quite sure why oh interesting why i feel that so much yeah now that's really interesting i use pinterest for like you things like recipes and clever clever ways of gardening and that sort of thing and like pro- oh my god life hacks and- <laughs> yeah, yeah life hacks. And storage hacks <laughs> and diy projects and yeah yeah projects. i also use it as my wish list because i i couldn't find a good way of putting a wish list together that was somewhere a bit neutral so i also have a wish list board on there but i would love to hear from anyone if they use it for more conservation purposes it's really interesting Finally, Tumblr. People said um, Tumblr was more about, uh, interestingly, fandom and art for uh, for them. So it it was less, it was more more visual uh, and more silly, often. Uh, so not very not very serious, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, moving on to what kind of things people share on social media, because that's what that's something we asked. What do you share? What do you put out there? We got a really wide variety of responses. So uh, it was things like before and after images, job adverts, events, new exhibitions coming up, useful articles, uh, conservation cleverness, in-progress projects, uh, videos of treatments. I've not really seen a lot of them, but that's cool. Uh, Podcasts. Yes. Um, Keep doing that. Things that professional bodies share, government papers and bills record, like related to museums, that sort of thing. And I'm like, wow, now we're getting very hardcore. Um, Research teasers, as we already talked about, uh, publications, 
emerging uh, professional discoveries, which I really liked. Some people also share funnies, geeky stuff, uh, equipment. Like, I found this amazing thing. This is how to use it. I love that. That's great. There should totally be more of that. Analysis images, uh, promotion of stuff going on in-house in museums and studios, like training courses and exhibitions and that sort of thing. And the fun side of conservation and positive heritage stories. I thought that was really nice. I was like, oh, yes, that's amazing. Please, please share more of that. That's amazing. So it it was a really good mix of what people do share. And then we go into what people don't share. And there was talking more things like bad conservation advice. That one came up a lot. Uh, so when it's someone's article about, hey, this is how to put brasso on things. And hey, do you want to clean a painting with some bread? You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's, um, yeah. So that sort of thing was certainly discouraged, which is good. Politics, religion, yeah. strong opinions. Very, very strong. Yeah, definitely politics came up a lot. Um, I loved the uh, response that was, I don't share personal info, i.e. not the cat or baking. Yes, <laughs> I thought that was very sweet. <laughs> I want to hear about your cat and your baking. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that. Someone else put beauty. Yes, I saw that one, sure and I was like, that. "No, I suppose Whoa. I definitely don't share that." But <laughs> it's not really a conscious decision. Um, people said things like uh, charity, charitable appeals, courses, that sort of thing. Research not yet published, which is. I, I can I can see I can see that. Ah, so that ties in with my secret Pinterest board. Yes, it does yeah. a bit. It does a bit actually. Um, so it's not just me. No, no, it's not just you at all. Uh, negativity, uh, which I thought was interesting. Motivational images. <laughs> I love that. It's like okay, okay, like yeah, no, sorry. no posters going. You can do it. Um, yeah, someone else said they don't like generic memes or yeah, just like yeah. hang in that. And I, I, I'm, yeah. I like that as well. I think. Uh, no, I no slander, no cute animals, no clickbait, no, no protected or in or personal information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. That's just sensible. Data protection people. Oh, now that was, this one was interesting. High value or sensitive yes. specimens. And I know um, when I was um, managing an institutional account, we were very careful about not doing anything that might compromise security. See, so not just about, we weren't just conscious about our image as an institution and not wanting to show kind of mouldy objects in store or whatever. But we, we were also quite careful about showing where these things could be found or anything that yeah. might um, make it possible for people to go and steal them basically yes uh, i feel like lovely stuff we have <laughs> yeah like um, i feel like that's, well, uh, but you it know, like it's on this shelf in the store here yeah. you know yeah, kind yeah. Of. yeah no i i feel like that is a worry and sometimes i feel like uh management might put a lot of time worrying into that sort of thing actually as for i generally i kind of don't care oh, oh no um, i suppose um, yeah if you have also made the location of the stores available it, yeah, yeah. Then it's a bit sensitive. I mean, I'd, I'd never do anything like that, right? But no. um, at the same time, I think it's an interesting thing to note that I literally never know when it's a high value object. I don't have that information. That information is not on the database. It's not anywhere I can access it as conservator. So I automatically treat everything as it's worth loads, or you know, it's it's worth an equal fictional amount. All objects are equal. Yeah, because. I have no information at all. That could be the last thing in existence. It could be the first of its kind. It could be one of three dozen. I have no idea. Uh, I don't get that information. And 
I'm fine with that. So for me, that doesn't even come into the equation unless someone rushes in at any point and goes, you better not tell anyone about that <laughs> painting because it's very valuable, madam. Uh, you know, then I'd stop, you know, but, you know, I, I guess for me, it's an interesting one because I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know. I'm interested by the person who said they don't share photographs. Yes, that it, that was yeah. very, it was just kind of a one-liner, no photographs. Yeah, Not at all. And, <laughs> and I'd love to know, does that mean like literally no photographs of anything ever, yeah. which is quite extreme from social, a social yeah. media point of view, or does it mean no photographs of treatments in progress mm. or no photographs related to conservation? I don't know. If you were that person... Let us know. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd, lo- I'd love to know uh, if if you go like you know really, really at hardcore with that rule and that nothing ever, or is it just nothing within the lab? Or mm. yeah, no, that one was interesting. Human remains came up uh, that no that uh, people wouldn't share, and I actually they said human tissue, so that you know it's Ooh, it's border. almost mm. yeah it's almost more broad i mean i know that we've had this conversation before about human remains and what constitute human remains mm-hmm. so for me it is already a broad term but the way they phrased it makes me think that it's indeed anything that comes from a human um and that that's interesting and i've heard i've heard that said before that they wouldn't share anything with that and that sounds to me also like i know we've, we mentioned this a little bit earlier but it sounds to me also that it's more to do with their their take on it is more to do with um discretion of or the privacy of the individual from whom the tissues came rather than i don't want to insult or upset anyone so i'm not going to post something recognizable like if you had you know a piece of leather looking stuff and posted that for the most part people won't be able to tell that it's from it's human but the fact that it's you know yeah, it's, that's interesting that it's for the, the the protection of the remains rather than the viewer. Yeah, um, and I I mean I I kind of feel like each to their own on that one because it's up to you to filter yourself. Oh, it's, it's really interesting because I know that some people have really strong opinions like they will never share anything. As I I think I'm more cautious if I am the actual origin of something. By which I mean if it's my photo of a mummy's uncovered face uh i might hesitate to tweet that because that is public and to everyone and i might feel a bit differently about that but for example i'm quite happy to share the guardian or the bbc having an article about human remains where that's the cover photo yeah then i'm totally okay with it and it's an interesting one where it's like this comes from someone else so i'm okay with it but it's it's still equally upsetting to people if they see you know dead body it's still upsetting to people, but I don't care. If it's, I, 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 not, <laughs> I don't care. No, but no, but it's <laughs> no. you know, it's I. I kind of filter it differently. I'd think twice if it was uh, me holding a skull. I suppose it's because it's already been vetted by a large. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of how I feel about it. Where it's even though people will obviously be upset, but then people would be upset by loads of things, and I can't help them. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. You, you can you can worry about what you put on social media, and it becomes really clear in in the in the survey results that some people spend an awful lot of time worrying, like you know they're really really thinking very hard before they post anything. As where um, I guess 
I'm okay with if someone gets a bit upset by something I say at some point. I don't want anyone to be upset constantly by everything I say. I'm not saying I want to speak only in profanity and, you know, (laughs) only post disturbing images. That's not who I am. But at the same time, I I can't take responsibility for everyone's well-being everywhere. (laughs) So I guess I... I take a more relaxed view uh, about what I'm doing. But clearly a lot of people worry a lot. Uh, other things people don't... And oh, I especially love this person, uh, whoever you are, who said, I don't show anything emotional ever. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, like, ooh, how, do you, how do you stay that neutral? Um, is that you only publish research? Like, is that the level where I'm like, nothing emotional ever? No, I'm having a good day. This is a nice cup of coffee, you know, like... I'm just wondering where that line yeah, goes. Yeah, what does emotional mean? So we also asked what the best examples you've seen of conservation on social media and also the worst. Now a category of best. Uh, uh, people liked varied content, uh, treatments, seeing people's labs, which I also enjoy. I enjoy that. Uh, yeah. I enjoy that a great deal. I love seeing where people work. Podcasts, yes. <laughs> x-ray images. I do love a good x-ray image. I do love yeah, that. Me too. I think I like it because it's not accessible to me. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, like, oh, look, it's a sneak peek inside something. I never get to do that. Something that did come through as well was people genuinely appealed to other people to share more content. Like People should share more, which was really sweet. I really loved that about mm. the survey where people were like, no, more content is good. It's, you know keep sharing it's very brave so keep doing it and yeah, it's just it's like lovely. oh you guys our community you guys you make me happy and then we had people obviously time lapses were oh. something that people people probably loved and then there were shout outs to more individual things like the horniman walrus um <laughs> not a twitter account i'm aware of but i love it <laughs> Uh, Pit River Storage Review, where they apparently do a lot of kind of uh, inviting people in and, you know, really showing showing stuff. A few people mentioned the Art Conservation Advocates group on Facebook, yes. which is an interesting one because I think it's a closed group and it is intended purely for conservators. Mm. Um, and so it's a lot of stuff. It's not one I'm a member gets, of, so. Ah, uh, oh, it, it is good. Um, and. It is. It is. It has got a lot of very conservation-specific stuff. So excellent. Well, I might check that out. I might check that out too. Yeah, I'm not remember. Uh, other things they got to shout out: uh, NYU Library Conservation Lab, uh, VNA Blog, yeah, uh, the Mets Instagram, the AIC Facebook group. Uh, Smithsonian Libraries did a video blog recently, apparently, which was supposed to be very good. Uh, Westin College on Twitter got a shout out. And uh, a couple of uh, Instagram accounts. Yeah, uh, Thomas Van Van Campen's Instagram account and uh, Fleve is what I've put down. Um, I think there was Francesca Levy, I think. Uh, Their Instagram accounts got very, um, you know, uh, good mentions. They were like, oh, I really like these guys. So, hey, well done, guys. Very well done. In terms of what people didn't like, (laughs) Museum Week. Museum Week uh, got got us got a slight slating <laughs> uh, because sometimes it's a bit dire, and I guess they try to appeal to the entire museum sector, so it's hard to maybe satisfy conservators with the type of hashtags they use. But hey, uh, I think a lot of people didn't like things that showed conservation in a bad light, um, yeah. so people kind of oh, sharing yeah. misleading conservation advice or mm, um, yeah. out-of-date stuff. But someone specifically mentioned nail polish in conservation really photos. Yeah, that, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that people didn't like heavily regulated museum content. So when it's been really, really, really approved, you know, like, <laughs> you know, when it's a bit too safe and nice, where it's like, yeah, do you never do anything to your objects? Like, is it always this nice? <laughs> like people, people want to see a bit of a mix, I think. Yeah, people want to see yeah. behind the scenes. On the other hand... Than- on the other hand, um, someone said, I, in general, I think conservators new to social media are not good at it, e.g. boring content or blurry pictures. Yes, so I, I saw that and I was like, oof. <laughs> middle uh, ground to be reached there between the, the extremely tightly locked down and focused yes. and polished content and at the other end, something that's really kind of unprofessional and basically not very helpful or interesting. Yeah. So. People people also mentioned diluted institute um accounts but i'm by that i'm guessing they mean when it's a museum account and they have to post things about we're doing a toddler group today oh and we do some conservation and then we're gonna talk about (laughs) the dementia group that's coming in and then we're gonna talk about this other event that we're doing i'm guessing that's what they mean by diluted content that it's never going to be collections care all the time i'm assuming but they could have meant something else and if you did get in touch you you can still be anonymous don't worry about it <laughs> um people didn't like people who only retweeted things they uh, quite liked if people did actually put it out some of their own content as well all beige pictures i really loved that one did you see that one christina no i didn't <laughs> oh yes uh let's see if i can find that one very quickly i got the sense that a lot of conservators don't like content which is which gives away too many details about the actual practice of conservation. So people are very happy to share before and after photos and they're happy to share some limited amount of information about objects they're working on. Mm. But a lot of people felt very uncomfortable about giving away too many details um, about the actual practical work involved um, ah, yeah, so, and uh, the materials brands. that are used and yeah, methods that are used and so on. Mm. And I, I think that's interesting obviously getting that balance right being very aware that there would be people looking at this stuff you can't control who looks at it necessarily yeah. and some of the people looking at it may well go and try and put this stuff into practice mm-hmm. do you think that's because people are um protective of their methods or do you think any of it has something to anything to do with um a sort of embarrassment of their practices or a self-doubt I don't think it's either necessarily. I think it it is also that people feel somehow responsible for what people might go and do with this information. Oh, I see. Um, and that you could you could put something out there saying, okay, I cleaned this with a 50-50 mixture of acetone and water and uh, swabbed it or whatever. And they're, they're quite understandably uncomfortable about the fact that someone else might go off and do that. And it's all very well for a conservator to make a decision to clean something yeah. with that kind of mixture because they may well have done testing. They yeah. will have some kind of understanding of how the materials involved will interact with some of the conservation materials. But other people might not do that my sense was that um, it, it was a worry about a little information being a dangerous thing, a little knowledge. Mm, yeah. Oh, I found that thing now. Worse. Oh, cool. Beige, beige, beige. Paper, watermarks, objects. <laughs> I just love this notion <laughs> that everything's brown. <laughs> Although that is slightly the the challenge you have with archaeological conservation because everything tends to be quite brown. <laughs> I guess, yeah, this is, this is more of an issue for kind of book and paper conservators yeah. probably <laughs> rather than... It's it's a really interesting point, actually, though, because social media thrives on variety yeah. and novelty. But so, then if your yeah, audience obviously. is uh, also book and paper conservators or 
archaeologists, then they're going to find those, you know, ever so slightly different looking sediments or ever so slightly different looking paper. Really fascinating. Yeah, sure. I mean, after yeah. 20 years as a paper conservator, you, you can probably perceive more yeah. dates of beige than the average person. But <laughs> Then we asked people if they had professional discussions uh, via social media. Um, and that could be asking questions or asking for advice or that sort of thing. And the answer was, well, about 18% said no. Like, it's not the right forum for it at all. Uh, and they tend to immediately go with, I just go to the disc list uh, if I have a question. And some of that seemed to be down to a fear of senior conservators or experienced conservators maybe not being on social media so they don't see see the question. And oh. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'll probably be harsh. That's a f- fair point, actually, though. Because quite often uh, when I've worked in places, the senior people who might well be the people with a lot of knowledge to contribute to these kinds of discussions, uh, they're not on social media. I mean, which is not to say that everyone over 50 is not on social media, but a lot of the people I've worked with haven't been. Yeah, so I can see that. and that, But then I'm, I'm also really curious to see what the response rate is from DIST list, because it might be that... Because um, at some point, someone did bring up that uh, they felt the disc list wasn't very good for discussion. Like, you might get one or two replies, mm-hmm. but not anything that was actively helpful. Um, so I, I wonder if if on the disc list, people don't actually reply to the list. Maybe people get more responses in person if they just email the original person. Or, or if it is generally just that it's a bit potluck if people ever reply to your question. Uh, I'm, I'm really... I'm really curious to know, but obviously we can't measure that. So uh, I'm, I have nothing to add to that except to say that I absolutely loved a typo about this, <laughs> uh, which is where someone referred to the conservation dust list. Yeah, <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> which I think so sounds like something aimed at preventive conservation. <laughs> so guys, if you ever want to set up a preventive conservation specific mailing list, please call it the dust list. Yes, please, please do. do. <laughs> uh, in, in general, though, uh, people were quite... Um, could, people could be a bit reluctant to share specifics on social media. If someone asks a question, they might not be happy to say, oh, yeah, just put cellulose nitrate on that. You know, like they wouldn't go into necessary specifics or even methods you know so um it it varied how useful people found asking questions and having these discussions on social media was but people were happy to share comments and anecdotes and follow-up questions start debates share opinions and sometimes share advice so i thought that was quite encouraging and i i kind of feel like that is very much something that I do. Like, I'll throw a question out there if I feel like it's appropriate. And often I do. (laughs) But it it does depend. I might, again, share something on Facebook to people who are conservators because it's kind of locked down there rather than on Twitter. But again, it depends. If I need to cast a wider net, I might ask something on Twitter, depending on what it is and if anyone might feel that it's too sensitive to ask about. And someone very sweetly said, I, I only share encouragements or say hello to people. <laughs> it's Aww, like, oh, that person sounds lovely. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Uh, mostly people in their 30s replied to our survey, apparently, but the age range was between 20s and 60 plus, so it was really encouraging. Uh, 92% were female. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> that is a really, that's, yeah, I really liked that little that little demographic thing. It fits so nicely in with our first episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, interesting. You say mostly people in their 30s. Actually, nearly 80% of people were 39 and under. Mm, yeah. Which is really quite a young demographic and younger than the profession overall so i don't know if that yeah. reflects mm. the people who listen to the c word yeah. uh, or whether it <laughs> reflects the people who are conservators but who are on social media and therefore would be inclined to answer a survey like this so yeah quite but yeah I, but i am still pleased that we got you know people you know in the 60 and above age bracket for example so uh, i'm pleased with the spread yeah so thank you to everyone who filled out our survey we really appreciate it please don't feel like we took the piss too badly out of you uh you're all anonymous <laughs> we, don't, we don't know who you are so we may agree or disagree on a few of these points but it was amazing to have the data thank you so much we'll probably be uh tweeting and sharing some nice uh graphics that i'll throw together uh, about this in a way uh to kind of share what we found out uh if you're interested in more general resources on uh, social media museum settings you can check out the mcn's uh youtube channel where, where they uh put up recordings of lectures and talks uh from their conferences i believe that stands for museum computer network but i could be wrong uh and they're in america but they're an excellent resource they have actually loads of videos on uh other people's social engagement but it has to be more museum-wide not conservation specific but just as a side note uh, we'll bring a link to that uh, in the show notes next up here's an interview with fiona mcleese and alex walker from the bodleian library Fiona and Alex are two of the people behind the Bodleian's popular social media feeds, and they spoke to me recently about how they manage their growing social media presence. Hello, I'm Fiona, and I'm a paper conservator at the Bodleian. And I'm Alex, and I'm the preventive conservator at the Bodleian Libraries. So we've been using Twitter and Instagram at the Bodleian for just over a year now. Uh, we started in March 2016. Um, this was after being initially put onto Twitter from our head of conservation, who set up her own account. And, um, and then as a department, we started a department-wide Twitter and Instagram um, accounts to represent the work that we were doing across the department. And uh, with a small team of conservators that would... Um, look at or putting the information on the accounts, sharing pictures. And this team was formed by um, myself, Fiona, and our colleague, Andrew Honey. So it's a, a spread across the three teams within the conservation department, the book, paper, and preventive teams, so that we can ensure we've got um, a wide variety of um, images and information to share with the world. How did you come to choose um, Instagram and Twitter as your sort of platforms for this? Uh, well, we chose Instagram main, mainly because of the, the wealth of images that we have and we, we um, generate from conservation. Um, a lot of these are very niche behind the scenes pictures that we aren't usually able to show people on tours. We're not um, able to show them in a lot of our sort of academic papers that would, that would um, 
require much more detail. So it's quite a nice informal way to show all these images that are constantly coming out of our um, conservation workshop. Um, and Twitter is better for sharing information rather than images. So Yeah, and I think also we'd originally, we discussed Twitter a little bit. In fact, it came out of um, updating some of our conservation web pages, which we'd we're starting to do on just on the website but in doing that thinking about how time consuming it was to update those pages and put case studies on and some of the other content that we have there um which is when we started thinking about twitter um but then alex had been looking on instagram and found some particularly in the in the states some instagram accounts for some of the studios there so it came out of wanting to have a big impact with a sort of minimum amount of time in a way yeah exactly and also to some extent to try and speed up the steps by which we can get information out it's not the main part of our jobs obviously so we don't want to spend hours writing long Mm -hmm. long bits of text basically (laughs) so have you found it limiting in any way compared with um, updating your web pages because obviously a picture can give quite a lot of information, but you don't get the same amount of context. Mm, I think stuff. we try and work with the limitations that, I mean, particularly Twitter, where you have, I think it's 150 characters of text. So being being forced to to come up with a caption that um, or a, a piece of information that is that fits within those um, Twitter boundaries has actually been quite useful. So it means that we're not spending much time um, working on these. But with Instagram, we can put more detailed captions. But again, because we're only showing one image, we're not going into huge amounts of detail. I think that's it's letting the image speak for itself in a lot of a lot of occasions. And I think um, for for our purpose and who we imagine some of our audience might be, um, it does the right job for us because we also felt that there's potentially a risk in um, supplying too much treatment information to people. People are often tempted to have a go themselves. <laughs> and we don't necessarily want to give all the information for that. So do you have any idea who your audiences are? If you go deep into Twitter analytics, you can find out quite a lot about your followers. Um, so what we did find is that the most common age range for our followers was the 25 to 34 age group, which probably isn't much of a surprise that, as, as that rematches the ages of most social media users. And, um, and also the majority of our followers are in the UK. So, I mean, the, the age groups that we la- are lacking are the 13 to 17 year olds probably don't know conservation exists um, and the 55 to 64 year olds analytics can also give you information about the performance of your posts as well Mm -hmm. so have you got a feel now for what kind of content uh, reaches the biggest audience what kind of things most popular um yeah i think definitely on instagram we do um it's quite clear what kind of posts do well there and we found pretty quickly that posting pictures predominantly of people if it was 
I don't know, here's our new member of staff or something, was not hugely popular. It's a nice thing to do, but obviously if people don't recognise any of the people in the photo, it's of very little interest to them. Um, whereas photos of processes actually taking place, I mean, one of the things that we really found is that photos of end banding on books uh, <laughs> <laughs> is pretty much a hit. <laughs> I mean, we've tried... We've tried to keep a variety of different kinds of shots. So sometimes macro or microscope images um, as alongside alongside of the, you know, more standard photos. And then we've also tried with little videos and time lapse and things like that. The most popular Instagram post was one of end banding. But then um, some of the other ones are not necessarily even of the objects we work with. So um, there was one of, of a fibre repair technique that was really popular. And then one of a box full of bone folders. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so it's been, it's been a variety of things on Instagram. I think on Twitter it's harder to tell what's going to be picked up and what isn't because so much of it is maybe more reliant on the time of day it goes out and how much other stuff is appearing in someone's Twitter feed. I'm interested that you're not um, using Facebook, uh, which is probably the most popular social media platform. Um, is there a reason you don't have a Facebook page as well? I think we thought, I, I think, well, personally, anyway, I thought it would just be too much work, possibly. Instagram, as we were saying earlier, is, is lends itself much more naturally, I think, to the the work that we're doing and, and putting an image up is... Um, is much easier whereas even with twitter to to think of something that imports a message um or gives a story about our work in 140 characters is we find a bit harder and uh, yeah i think i think again as i was saying it's it, it can't become a huge part of our daily work and that obviously the more forms you add in um then just the more work it's going to be ultimately to, to keep them all updated and looking fresh. I mean, I think the other thing that the, the Bodleian library, the main Bodleian library's communications team use um, to great effect is Tumblr. And perhaps that's something that we could be using. But again, I think, I think we're finding that having two accounts is probably enough for us at the moment. Sure. So how much time are you finding it does take? Um, I think you said there are three of you um, mm. managing these accounts primarily. Yeah, so there's three of us that will um, write the posts and share the posts. Um, the rest of the department will contribute images if they think that they're working on something interesting or or they've come up with some nice images and think, oh, that'll be perfect for Instagram. Um, but in terms of actually recording the amount of time we spend, we don't we don't do that. It's quite hard to to work out exactly how much time we are using the social media because it's sort of as and when posts come about that we'll put them on online. So it's short bursts of time rather than an allotted sort of hour a week or half an hour a week each. So do you um, have a plan for your posting and so on uh, I guess a social media strategy do you do you schedule things do you aim to do a certain number of posts a week we we had initially when we were starting the accounts um we had written a sort of mini um 
strategy and guidelines for ourselves. Um, and I think in that we'd originally put it that we would do three Instagram posts a week, but I don't think we were specific about Twitter because obviously if you're retweeting and so on, it's difficult. You're not going to count that up. Um, but I think at the moment it's probably we're not doing as many as that. We're maybe doing one or two a week and it comes in, in flurries a little bit that some weeks we will each put something up from our different teams and then other weeks might be a bit fallow. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems to work fairly naturally that we have enough going around. And I think, as I say, with Instagram, it's less important than it is with Twitter to keep on putting new things up because people search Instagram and find a post from several months ago in a way that you don't quite do with Twitter. So I think that you don't need such a high frequency, we kind of feel. But no, it's, it's ended up being more organic. One of the other things that we'd put in our kind of guideline strategy was that we wanted any images we were sharing to specifically say something about conservation. And obviously, working here with the amazing collections we have, we could easily just be posting pictures of beautiful things <laughs> um, or, or interesting things or whatever. But we we really wanted to make sure we avoid that and that each image we use does actually say something about our job and isn't just a picture of an illumination in a manuscript. Um, and if it is that, then the caption says the pigments on this are flaking and we're looking at treating, oh, you know, it has some conservation content, um, <laughs> but we really wanted to make sure we kept definition as a conservation, yeah, as a conservation team, that this is about our work and, and not just attractive things. And are there things you deliberately choose not to say about conservation or not to show um, you mentioned uh, sort of detailed treatments uh, and so on so so the sort of the other thing is we have a an arrangement in place partly as, as one of the ways to make it easier for us to share this kind of stuff that we don't have to put all our images and captions through loads of different people to get agreement to put it up but we do contact the curator of each collection when we're showing an, an object from their collection to just agree with them that they're happy for us to do that. And I think some occasionally um, there's been a stopping point there where they haven't wanted to show something for whatever reason, um, sometimes just due to copyright issues or um, ownership of the images or things like that. But I think very occasionally it's because someone else in the library feels we shouldn't show something in such a in, in a really poor condition, perhaps. Whereas we feel well, we're showing it in poor condition, that's part of our job and that's part of what we're working with and why we're here. But I think occasionally there there could be a curator who's who would really prefer that we're not showing the Bodleian libraries with things in poor condition. And I think that I mean we haven't thankfully had very many negative comments at all on on Twitter or Instagram. But I think some some of the ones that we have had have said things like, oh, I can't believe that things in the Bodleian are in this kind of condition. So I can understand that that is a concern for our, for our communications department and our, how we, how we show ourselves that as conservators, we do want to show people the kind of, 
state of objects that we work with, but then also as part of a, a really uh, important, well-known institution, finding the balance between what we feel free to share and, and maybe what what people could get upset about. Um, I mean, in the instance where someone has said, oh, I can't believe this is in such bad condition, it does give us then another opportunity to respond to them and explain what it is that we're doing and um, how it is that we work, you know, the kind of work that we do here. And um, we've then been able to respond to things like that and hopefully um, make someone a bit more aware. You said this started sort of initially as a way of um, reaching people without the large amount of time that it takes to update all your web pages and so on are you finding that you're just not updating your website now and that the social media has taken over instead or do you find that there are still things that you would like to put online uh, on your website because social media isn't quite the right uh, outlet for them mm, so yeah i think we we are carrying on to update our web pages one of the areas we concentrate on is we have a an area for case studies and I think that's something we'll carry on doing because that's something we couldn't share on social media and it is a bit more in depth and it gives people in our teams a chance to write something that's um, not quite a formal paper but somewhere in between a blog post and a paper so that there is some more detail about research we might have been doing or special projects we've taken on I think it, it links us back to the libraries as well. So our, our website forms part of the Bodleian Library's website. So when someone goes to look at, at the library website, they might also stumble across the conservation pages. And um, that way they can learn a bit about us. Um, so that the purpose of the page is quite different to our social media accounts. So uh, where are you going to go from here? You're going to uh, carry on with Twitter and Instagram, presumably. Um, Any plans to expand into other platforms or are you going to stick with those two for the moment? I I think we'll probably stick with those two for the moment, yeah. Um, Just, uh, yeah, I think it would be a lot more work to start considering other, other outlets, really, unless we just share the same thing on all streams. But I I think that's not a very satisfactory thing to do somehow. We're not going to start a conservation Snapchat. No. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I think we're interested to see now, now that it's just been over a year, whether, whether things keep on growing um, and yeah, what happens over the next year. Twitter is not really, it's kind of seemed, plateaued a little bit for us maybe perhaps we're not quite active enough on there whereas Instagram still seems to keep on growing Mm. quite strongly so it'd be interesting to see if that carries on over the next year and I mean following our presentation in Oslo as well it'd be interesting to see whether more British uh, studios are able to start doing the same I mean it would be nice if there were more definitely the ones that we get something out of being a follower as well as posting our things. And certainly with looking at some of the the studios in the States, getting an idea of how they're doing things and occasionally even contacting people when there's something they've put up that's interesting and mm. sharing information that way. I think we found it to be really beneficial and maybe for me a slightly unexpected benefit. And so I think... 
I think it'd be nice to see if that grows more and that networking aspect of it grows more. So are there many um, conservation-specific tags on Instagram, for example, or, or or do you take part in any of the sort of Twitter events that there are, like Museum Week or um, other kind of like library events or conservation events that you take part in? Um, well, I don't think we have really, actually. I'm aware on Instagram there's quite a few library-specific tags. I think definitely some of the, the libraries in the States seem to have a weekly hashtag of different things or like mar- marbling monday or whatever where people yeah <laughs> put up nice pictures of marbled papers um which we haven't really we might have done once or twice but we haven't really got involved with again partly because obviously we do have those things in our collection but that's not really saying a lot about our work as conservators if mm-hmm. um although there's a nice kind of camaraderie around around doing those things and in terms of conservation specific hashtags i don't know no there's none i've picked up on often if you were to use just hashtag conservation you might get um conservationists (laughs) yes Yeah. yeah other other types of conservation popping up rather than library and museum or um we we do the more generic ones sometimes, like Throwback Thursday or Flashback Friday. <laughs> but no, that might be something that we'll look into for the future because I think that might be a, a, a nice way to expand maybe Twitter especially. We did manage to do a um, takeover, a takeover Tuesday event which was the um, the main Bodleian Library's Twitter account let us in conservation take over um, the Bodleian Library's Twitter account for the day, which was great because that really bumped up our followers. And um, so we planned all of our tweets for that day. We made sure we had lots of interesting images and um, short snippets of information linking back to our case studies on the website and um, we had all of that ready for the day, which was great because that was reaching, I think the Bodleian libraries have about 50,000 Twitter followers. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that account <laughs> is much, much greater than our 1,500 followers. <laughs> but um, so being able to, to reach that number within a day, which was, was really great. And again, that was because we have the support from our communications team for the, for the libraries. They seem to really really like our our instagram and twitter feeds so uh the paper that you gave um at yada i i first encountered it in fact on social media because i saw other people speaking about it very enthusiastically on twitter um are you going to publish this work anywhere uh, we have thought about publishing it with yada in the in their journal uh, we haven't got any firm plans yet to. I think we just need to we need to discuss it a little bit more because it's quite it's I think quite a difficult paper to to publish in that way. It worked really well as a presentation because it was very image heavy and lots of videos and short videos. So to to try and get that across in a paper might be quite difficult to put it on instagram instead <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll slowly drip feed the presentation through instagram <laughs> i think i mean i think i was also slightly concerned before we went that 
maybe it just wouldn't be of interest to that many people, um, or at least not people who predominantly work as bench conservators. But actually, given the positive reactions we seem to get when we were in Oslo, I've kind of changed my opinion about that slightly. I was a little bit worried that we'd have a lot of people saying, oh, that's, that's great, but why, why are you doing it? I mean, it's not just another thing eating into your time when you could be doing the hands-on stuff. But actually, um, certainly all the people who asked questions and approached us over the couple of days after we gave our paper were were really quite enthusiastic about it. And I think a lot of people were able to see that, you know, we talk about increasing our followers and so on, but it's not just because it's a game where we want to get bigger and bigger numbers. It's because public engagement is the most conservators, one of our own uh, one of our own aims of our profession now is that advocacy and public engagement and public understanding of what we do will help, hopefully, help to protect our career. Um, and that the more people that understand what we do, the more our jobs are likely to carry on existing. Um, and the more people can be sympathetic to, you know, to the kind of regulations they might find in a library or the lighting that they find in a gallery or whatever it is so I think it was yeah I was I was not so sure people would um, be sympathetic towards us and just think we were having a play around but talking to people afterwards certainly did feel like people could see that this is part of public engagement and that's a that's really a major thing (laughs) Okay, um, Alex Walker and Fiona McLeese, thank you very much for talking to the C Word today. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and if you would like to follow the Bodleian Library's conservation team on social media, you can find them on Instagram at Bodleian Conservation and on Twitter at Bodcons. And we'll put those links in our show notes, so look out for them there. As always, if you have any questions, comments or corrections, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch. Patreon shout out. Welcome to Jenny, our newest patron. Thank you so much for joining us. As usual, you can find us on patreon.com slash the C word if you want to join in as well. Thanks for listening. We're the C word and you've been listening to Christina Rosaic, Chloe Rumsey and me, Jenny Mathiasen. You can check out our website at theseaword.show, tweet us at theseawordpodcast, or simply email us on theseawordpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by DD Music and used under a Creative Commons attribution license. This has been a Wooden Dice production. Yay! <laughs> Customer yay! <laughs>